Welcome back to Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion. In this episode, we talk with Chris Travis, one of our favorite Corraleños, and he talks about how much he enjoys juggling multiple jobs, his love for his family, the way that creativity continues to show up in his life, and how wonderful it's been to make room for happiness because it just keeps showing up. Thanks for joining us. Did you remember going to American Furniture as a kid? Oh, yeah. Okay. For sure. Was there just like one furniture store in the whole city? (laughs) Well, I think the department stores had more furniture then. Like Broadway. Do you remember Broadway and Coronado? I think so. It had had a furniture store. It also had a restaurant. Uh, It did. It did. My grandmother used to take me there. My my dad's mother would take me there for etiquette lunches. Oh, at Broadway. That's where I learned not to leave my soup spoon in the bowl. (laughs) I just remember going to American Furniture with my parents and it was like, I feel like it was a regular occurrence. And we, you know, they would go and look for the one thing that they had to find. Mm-hmm. And then I just felt like I had this whole enormous furniture store to my, myself. Yeah. And I would like, you know, do all sorts of imaginary play in American <laughs> furniture. Yeah, that's familiar to me too. As you know, my mother liked to move a lot. So <laughs> we needed a lot of, you know, a new little thing here or there to fit the new dining area or whatever. Well, we never moved. Ever. I know. And so it was so cool for you to go by and see my house, by the way. It was so much fun to see it. I didn't know that it had fallen on harder times, but oh. it, it looked it it looked like it was uh being cared for. Okay, so it was about a year ago, my brother it was for sale. So kind of long story short, my parents bought that house from Antoine Predoc. Oh, okay. When they sold it, they sold it back to Antoine Predoc. Oh, okay. Where for a long time it was used like as a rental for some of his younger architects, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and um, a few years ago it was being sold, or I think it was just last year. And so it, the photos of the house were posted on like a real estate site. And honestly, I looked at those photos and I wanted to cry. Oh, like that house had so much character, had yeah. such beautiful details, sliding pocket doors, mm-hmm. really nice wood finish. The hardwood floors had been sanded and it was like this bird's eye maple floor. You know, my parents had done a lot of work on that house. There could always be more work to be done. And, you know, my parents weren't interior decorated minded like your parents were. But, um, oh my gosh, it looked like the worst of the worst had come onto that house. I mean, there, the, the bathroom upstairs was like this weird Rococo. It looked like something out of Graceland. 
I have to say. And like every bit of detail, the wood had been stripped and repainted. And oh, oh no. it's just tragic, tragic, tragic. <laughs> I seriously said to my brother, so we should buy it back and restore it. <laughs> yeah. But of course, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to go backward in time. But the photos that you showed suggest that it was bought and someone's maybe giving it a little TLC. So, yeah, it was very quiet on the street when I would when I was there. It's the middle of the day and the week, you know, weekday. Um, but yeah, I I didn't peer in the windows, so I can't mm. I can't comment on the interiors, but. Um, it was just neat to drive around that neighborhood and we hit all the, all the spots. So it was great. It's kind of the Breaking Bad neighborhood. I always think about, you know, Definitely. <laughs> a lot of Breaking Bad was filmed there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recognize uh-huh. that for sure. We're going to have another guest on today, Chris Travis. Yeah. But before we get to him, what are you noticing? What's like emerging for you in all these interviews? That's such a good question. I feel like no one had visibility in 1989 about what they were going to be doing now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more that I, I just think it's really cool to see how each person makes their own way. Mm -hmm. Um. And how much chance plays into it, too. I agree with you on the visibility in terms of being able to see themselves. But you and I have both commented on Brad, on Mark Tafoya, at some level. Yeah. um, On Jenny. Just about the fact that there were so many, like, indicators and signals of Mm -hmm. what they might do. Mm -hmm. Now, Mark ended up taking a slightly different track in the end, but, like, his acting career. Yeah. Brad's music career, Jenny's, you know, magazine, magazine yeah. <laughs> career. True. It's interesting. Maybe they didn't know, but there were these little signals or little indicators and also little passions or big passions that they had that somehow like propelled them into the place they are today. Yeah, that is absolutely true. I mean, I think the folks that have ended up in something like business, maybe it's a little less obvious. Yeah. But folks that are pursuing things that are maybe more creative. Yeah. Um, there, there have there were some very strong signals back in the day, mm-hmm. and it's cool that they felt like they could pursue those. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. How about for you? Uh I am not surprised, but really heartwarmed by how at least the folks we've talked to to date have acknowledged that we were really a pretty unique class. And maybe we all think that about our high school classes, but I don't know. Um, but that they really like people. They, you know, there seems to be, you know, a, a consensus that we run a bunch of assholes, which is good. Yes. <laughs> And um, I think I'm surprised at how grateful people are that we're actually doing this. Mm-hmm. Like they think it's really fun and cool and they're excited by the project. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I'm also really noticing that people are using this as an opportunity to do a little sort of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like it's, it's something that like, oh, this feels really good to go back and talk about my journey mm-hmm. to now. Mm-hmm. It's giving people an opportunity to tell a story, which we don't get asked that much. Hey, what have you been doing for the last 35 years? <laughs> and just to have someone listen to you tell your story. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> In the spirit of our community service plays, maybe this is a community service. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of community service plays, the white rabbit. Oh, coming the, on the podcast today as our guest. Oh my goodness. Oh, Chris Travis. He was phenomenal. There was a lot of ad-libbing when Chris Travis <laughs> played the white rabbit because memorizing lines was not a high priority, but it led to hilarity. Oh. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I told you this, but um, but Chris Travis, for my 50th birthday, just randomly out of the blue, sent me a Facebook video of him reading a part of Many Moons. No way. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. Why does he like funny. you more than me? He didn't send me know. that. <laughs> I don't know. I think I probably still have it and I will download it and put it up on the um on the webpage because it was so cute and so sweet and what a treat. To, Did he play to... a wizard in that? I think so. I think he played think one of so. a wizard. Probably. I don't know. But what else do you remember about Chris? Um, I remember he was a talented diver. Yes. Maybe a swimmer as well, but definitely a diver. He did. I think he might've won the state meet. Yeah, he was. And, and just one of those people that's athletic coordinated, you know, um, but also I remember him as a musician. He played some wind instrument. Right. I can't remember which one it is, but I remember him being in the band. I remember him singing with Matt at the talent show. Um, The Everly Brothers dream. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, more recent days, I guess when I was in my early 30s, when I moved to Austin or late 20s, he was here with his wife, Tavia, Mm -hmm. before they had children. And he was getting his doctorate in Spanish at UT mm-hmm. Austin. Mm-hmm. And um, I hired him to help me refresh my Spanish. Um, and we did like a series of, of uh, lessons, which was so much fun. Oh my gosh. So, and I love his yeah. wife, Tavia. She is such a cool woman. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I had the I had the pleasure of hosting his son Owen last summer, who lived with us for the entire summer. Owen did an internship here at Intel, and you know it was funny because I would have expected. I mean, Owen was fabulous, and everyone loved him. He was not. He did not have the Chris Travis goofy factor, though. Really, it was a lot 
more serious. He strikes me that maybe he's maybe a little bit more like his mom. Yes. In that regard. I Livia mean, is definitely more the straight man in that relationship. <laughs> so I can see that he, I mean, when you've got a father as funny and goofy as Chris, you might need to just kind of be the foil for his antics. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm curious if he is as goofy at home as he was in high school, or if that is just a part of him that comes out when he's with Matt and the Kellehers. <laughs> That's a good question. And he teaches at a college. So is he yeah. a goofy professor? Yeah. I mean, he was so silly and funny. Yeah. That's and one yeah, of the I, things that I most remember about him and that I most appreciate, not just about him, but about the whole Coraleño, you know, the, the, the Corrales guys were just so willing to do silly, silly things. Yeah. I'm going to ask him to tell us they used to do these funny competitions and... Remember the Kella Traveler, the car? Yes. Yeah. And the CCCP t-shirts. Corrales, corndog. Corndog. Carpool. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, you know, we can ask him all about all of these things. Because, I mean, they must, they, what came, in, came from those minds was really unique and creative and really bizarro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I spent the week in Corrales and it's still got kind of a hippie, mm -hmm. hippie vibe kind of, you know, we don't need to buy that new. We can just stick these two things together and wrap it in twine and that'll work. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. The CCCP was the Corraleño corndog carpool. Yeah. Okay. Well, you remember there was a lot of corn dogs. Oh, so many. A lot of corn dog references. Yeah, the corn dog I knew was in there. I could remember it was Corrales corn dog, Corraleño corn dog, corn dog Corraleño. It definitely had a corn dog. Look. Oh, hello. Yo. <laughs> what is? Only about as late as I could be. Did I miss? You laughing or laughing? Did I miss you laughing? You laughing? Dang it. Luckily, it's only one minute from me laughing, Safantine. So, I'm a little early. A little early. Sorry about that. I'm not throw you guys off too much. Chris, what were you doing this morning? Yeah, we want to know. Uh, I tend to have more than saffin things going on at, every, at any particular moment. I was checking on some tenants down in Chicago. Um, they've, uh, I don't know, they needed some work done. I was working on an article um, for, I guess, a book that's coming out. And I am enjoying hanging out with my family. I've got all three boys back for uh, the summer. Oh, that's cool. So actually, I had to take uh, Carla's surrogate son, Owen, to the airport today so that he could go visit his girlfriend in New York. But other than that, um, I, it's been really wonderful to have all of them back. Yay. We Yeah. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're good. We are good. Good, good, good. 
And weirdly, Excellent. I am only a couple hours from Carla. I'm wow. In Healdsburg. How'd you pull that well, off? We have friends with a place in Healdsburg, California. And um, Ian and I flew here yesterday. And we're going to be here for a couple weeks. So, um, and I'm going to get to see Carla and Mark on Saturday, mm-hmm. which is tomorrow. Oh, nice. <laughs> that that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I hear good reviews of the San Jose area and Carla and Mark's house for that matter. <laughs> well, it was so fun to have Owen last summer. We really miss him and Piper missed him, misses him especially, although maybe it's Jackson. Piper always liked to say the bromance of uh, of Owen and Jackson sitting yeah. on the couch watching Love Island last summer was a real... Yeah, they're both very intellectually <laughs> profound young men, I'm sure. And I'm sure that that stimulated them equally. So we actually, right. we are, we are going to start you with a very easy question. It's the same question we okay. ask everyone who comes on the podcast. And that is, Chris, what have you been doing? What have you, I'm sorry, what have you been doing for the last 35 years? Wow. <laughs> What is one thing that I did constantly, consistently? No. We no. Oh, okay. We want to hear a little. Yeah. A little um, I'll, I mean, you want us to keep this part short, right? <laughs> um, well, I did go to college. I did a lot of study abroad. I kept working on the Spanish, ended up getting a, uh, a degree in Spanish, taught high school for a couple of years. Um, decided to go back to grad school, got the PhD at the University of Texas at Austin, got to spend lots of good times with Jessica and Paul and their blossoming family. Uh, (laughs) Blossoming. (laughs) Anyway, no, um, from Austin, I got a job here in the Chicago area. Oh, sometime in there, I met Tavia Whitney and married her, met her and 91, married her in 96, had our first kid in 2001. That's the same year I started at Elmhurst College, which is now Elmhurst University. I've been there for 22 years. Um, In that time, yeah, two more boys came along. So I've got Owen, who is 21, Will, who is 19, and Walker, who is 16. And we live in Evanston, Illinois. And I've been at Elmhurst University here in the Chicago area for, like I said, a long time. Um, my interest is Latin American literature, Latin American culture. So I have a book that came out in 2007 on a Chilean poet and a bunch of Chilean poets he had contact with, a bunch of Latin American writers and philosophers he had contact with. His name is Enrique Lin, if anybody's interested. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, just a bunch of other articles on Latin American literature, Latin American culture and philosophy. Um, I do a lot with environmental criticism, which some people refer to as eco-criticism, where you know we use kind of a environmental theoretical apparatus to talk about uh, issues of ecology and sustainability and environmental justice in art and literature. I've had a chance to teach some of that stuff, but never at the graduate level. Uh, and I was department chair for seven years, but that was, as you can easily imagine, kind of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> what would make me say that? Oh, the fact that this is the second and a half time that we've tried to schedule this meeting. Uh, so, you know, 
I was good at the big issues. I brought in some amazing new colleagues. I continued to publish. I supported my junior colleagues, made sure they got tenure. We got some good big things done. It was the little things <laughs> that uh, people like that department chair to be able to do that I was not so great at following through on. Um, but, you know, it's because I can see the big picture in the background and I want to get there. Yeah, you need a good assistant. Um, need a good assistant for that other stuff. That's yes, it was all... <laughs> My assistant's fault. <laughs> yeah, so just for the record, I didn't get fired as department chair or anything. I just decided it wasn't for me. Uh, I didn't like having to remember all these little dates and turn in all these little documents. So I went back to research and teaching things that I wanted to do. Uh, I have a question so. for you about your 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 area of specialty, which really is fascinating to me. But I mean, I feel like as long as I knew you, you loved speaking Spanish. It was like something you really enjoyed. And where does that come from? Like, were you always just interested in language and, and, and culture? And Yeah, I mean, it, it was our whole community, right? We all, a lot of us liked our Spanish teachers. And um, whether it was Tony Esquivel or Mr. <laughs> Seymour or whoever it was, uh, Mr. Rayburn, Rayburn, yeah. Senor Rayburn. Um, and so, yeah, you just kind of continue. I continued with it in college. I, I, I probably should have been more ambitious because I was at Wharton for business school and I was supposed to do both business and Spanish. Uh, but then I fell in love with Tavia and Spanish and Spanish literature. I was in Spain and I called Penn and said, hey, you know, what if I were to stay for a year instead of a semester? And they said, well, you would have to sacrifice the business degree. And I quickly and willingly did that. Um, so then, you know, you just become more and more specialized and um, I did like high school teaching. I coached diving and coached soccer, but it was seven periods a day. That's all you're doing nonstop every day. It takes a really special individual to be able to sustain that over decades. And so I went back for the PhD. Um, and I like the balance. I really like teaching, you know, two, three, four classes, usually three, <clears throat> and having time to work with students on research, work on my own research. There were many, many years where I was very prolific, uh, but not so much anymore. <laughs> now I just write articles when they're commissioned. And unfortunately, I have two right now that uh, are due. So I still publish a few times a year, but no books, no major publications, no, not going to five conferences a year or anything like that. I love my balance, I will say. So since I've been encouraged to talk about myself, I will say that Bob Clotworthy, my advisor back at the Academy, referred to me as a jack of all trades, master of none. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I think he was right. I mean, he was basically saying if you could focus more on diving, you'd be you'd be better. Um, but you want to do soccer and clarinet and saxophone and tennis and all these things. And and I did. And, and I am glad looking back that I that I chose that. Um, I wish I played music better or I wish I played tennis better or whatever, but it's kind of nice when you get to be 50 and you can play a little music, play a little tennis, you know, still jump off the diving mm -hmm. board without dying. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the other thing is the ADHD gets talked about a lot. You know, obviously I have it. Sorry, I was late for this appointment. <laughs> But ADHD is something that you can name it or not name it, doesn't matter. But if you can reflect on it and kind of understand, oh, this is the type of person I am, this is the environments in which I thrive, and these are the environments, you know, that provide me with some difficulty. 
being department chair for eight years, for example. Um, but a lot of the books and literature say mm -hmm. that, you know, it's also, I don't know about, about a superpower, but it's also a an advantage. Uh, you can hyper-focus on things. I mean, you know, just sitting in the library for eight hours a day until the dissertation or the book is done. Or you might also just enjoy mm -hmm. um, being able to, to balance a bunch of different things. So looking back on my life, um, I could have regrets about that, but that's basically what ended up happening. I mean, I, I ended up in a career where I do have huge chunks of the year off and I was feeling like I could give more. I was curious about other things. And so, you know, the research had a chance to, to, I had a chance to invest in the research. And then after tenure and after experimenting with administration, um, I still felt like I had more I could give. And uh, I think Carla might know this, but I ended up getting into a lot of real estate. Um, and that seems strange. Like, why? Like, why would you do that? My dad actually was in real estate. And he said, when I got my PhD, he said, well, this is great. This is great. You know, you can do this for 10 or 12 years. And then, you know, if you get, if that the whole professor thing doesn't work out, you know, you could always go into real estate or something. And it really hurt my feelings. I'm like, dad, I'm telling you that I'm getting my PhD and all you have to say is, well, that may not last. Um, but sure enough, he was pretty prophetic. I mean, after, after 20 years or more like 16, I started getting curious about real estate and thinking, you know, what if I bought a little fixer upper and used um, recycled materials to, to make it a really nice living space for people? Could I rent it out, and make a profit? And it's, it's a small dream. It's not like selling my multi-billion dollar company, but um, it ended up being really fulfilling. So I go to this place called Evanston Re Rebuilding Warehouse and I get like old granite and old uh, stainless steel appliances and old cabinets that are still beautiful. that are you've been torn out of mansions um, that were demolitioned on the, on the lakefront. And I put them into fixer uppers so that they may not be ready to flip for a huge profit, but when a renter walks in there and they see granite and they see stainless steel and they see like beautiful hardwood floors, they're thrilled. Um, they didn't think they could afford that. They didn't think that that was something that would work for them. Um, and so then I rent it below market value so that I have good renters who stay and I form a good relationship with these people over years. Mm. And so I've always had the same renters and, and they come up with ideas of, things to renovate, things to fix. And then I go out and find recycled materials. And um, it's been profitable, but it's also been a lot of fun. And so now I have like 10 units and um, I'm glad that I'm balanced, that I'm able to to have multiple careers, if, if you want to call it that. Um, same thing with running a marathon or doing a triathlon. It's like, I get distracted. I'm like, oh, what's that shiny object over there? Oh, it's a it's an Iron Man. I'm going to go train for it. Uh, so that's kind of an ADHD thing, but it's also super fulfilling to be able to have fun doing these different things. Well, first of all, can we just go back to the property guy? I mean, you're like property brothers, but you're just like property guy, right? I mean, it's like you're able to, to I mean, I just can't believe that you spend so much time going in, fixing things up, connecting with humans. It's like this amazing I don't know. It's, I, I don't think I've, you, you should have your own television show. This is better than, you know, 
So Tavia's cousin is my real estate agent. He's like, you know, they were asking me if there was anybody in the local area who wanted to do like an, a local HGTV or whatever it's called, you know, show. And I, I gave them your name and I was thinking you'd be the perfect person. But the problem with my stuff is I'm not that proud of how it turns out. <laughs> it's really, really nice. It's a granite countertop. Everything's cool. It just doesn't quite make it to the end of the wall. Because, well, the granite that I got for 150 bucks uh, wasn't that long. Um, and so, or the cabinets, you know, these beautiful high-end cabinets and the people love them, but, you know, the last one didn't have a door. So we turned that into open shelving. Uh, so I was a little embarrassed with the idea of that being on TV, but, um, but yeah, I do get a lot out of it and, and I'm creating a nice space. It's, it's kind of artistic and creative, although, like I said, my standards are, as Tavia puts it, like good enough are kind of my standards. Um, it's one Which way. Which is great. I mean, you're providing this affordable, unique living experience for people that otherwise would not have as cool a place to live and certainly not as personal a feeling a place to live. And I love, I'm really curious about the decision to rent mm. a little below market value because obviously, you know, there's that rationale that you mentioned that's we're going to hope that people will stay longer because it's hard to find a better deal. But is there an aspect of wanting to kind of really build some sort of community around Yeah, there projects? is. Um and it's something that I could probably pursue more. Um, it's been presented to me. The people that run Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse, you know, have asked me to give seminars and things like that, turn it into something kind of more official. But, you know, then the ADHD kicks in because I want to go spend time with my son and I want to go watch him play soccer and I want to have time with my wife. And um, those really aren't bad distractions at all. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, you kind of choose how much you commit yourself to something. And so if you, even if it's just on an individual level that this single mom, you know, isn't seeing her rent go up, even though it's going up by 7%, you know, across the nation or something. Um, and I'll work with them if they're applying for subsidized, you know, housing support, any letter I need to write or things like that. So um, they, people generally will fall behind on rent by a couple months, but they always catch up. Um, and like I said, it's it's fun to try to be artistic about using salvaged materials. I can't always do it, um, but that's always kind of a fun challenge. Um, <clears throat> so yes, there is a community there. It is kind of when investing back about... in community. It's also a way to make money that that I can feel ethically good about. And so I don't mean to judge anyone else who makes money in any other way. But as a struggling teacher, you constantly ask yourself, what else can I do? What else can I do? And, and this is something people need a place to live anyway. Somebody's going to own that building anyway. Somebody's going to charge rent anyway. So I don't really think I'm adding to, um, you know, the consumer world or throwing more things into the landfill. Hopefully it's the opposite, keeping things out of the landfill. Uh, but yeah, I was looking for also a way to make more money. Um, mm -hmm. Kids headed towards college and all that kind of stuff. I'm no saint, but you guys are very good at this. <laughs> well, when you, 
when you think about all the different things that that your passions and your ADHD have led you into over the last three decades, what surprises you? Are there, is there some, was there something you thought, I never thought I would want to do X or Y, but it ended up being really cool. Or is there kind of a moment of surprise or joy that's come from this being the jack of all trades, master of none? Um, I don't know. I mean, those are, those could be two separate questions. Um, you know, something that came specifically from that aspect of my life, it might be hard to come up with. Um, but I think that one thing that surprised me and it probably is related to this, um, and this is going to sound, I don't know how to present this without sounding kind of conceited, but you guys might be able to relate there really is like a, a tremendous amount of joy and fulfillment, um, success, if you want to be had in the world. And I don't think there's a limit on that. You don't have to feel guilty if you're successful. Both of you are extremely successful and, you know, married to successful people. And, you know, you look at our graduating class and like everybody's famous and rich and successful. And maybe that's not necessarily true. And, and some of the most fascinating people in our class don't fit that category. I don't know. I, I don't know our class well enough, but the ones that I'm familiar with seem to have this track of traditional societal success. Um, but happiness is, um, is not like in, it's not limited. You, you're allowed to be happy. You're allowed to have a place for joy to come into your life. I mean, I think I got that from my mom. She, She's had a lot of ups and downs, different marriages and, you know, her second husband dying of a brain tumor. But she's constantly putting out there this idea that if you hold a space for joy and happiness to come to you, like it will come and you don't have to feel guilty about it. It's okay. It's okay to have all three of your children be healthy and successful. It's okay to have a happy marriage. It's okay to make money, Um, you know, and so when these opportunities present themselves, I tend to have a optimism about, yeah, this might work out. Let's give it a shot. If it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, but what if it does, you know, um, and kind of let the fear or the apprehension, uh, wait on that for another day. And, you know, who knows, Uh, who knows what'll happen end up getting cancer or end up dying a young, you know, young death. But for now, why not assume that you're not going to get cancer, that you can run that race, that you can build that house. Um, So I guess I'm a little bit fearless when it comes to that. And that probably has something to do with, like you say, the ADHD, just like, I don't have time to worry about this. Let's, let's go do this other thing. Um, So. Mm -hmm. Speaking of. (laughs) You have had an amazing career in running and racing and now Ironmanning. Is that correct? Um, We're hoping. We're hoping. It's the latest. Sort of your love for the distance run and the bicycling and all of that good stuff. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm no Jenna app. I don't, I don't win things. (laughs) 
Okay, let's be clear here. There's no national championship <laughs> on the line. Um, yeah, really. But but I'm a little bit of a Tommy Schmidt. <laughs> I get the job done. Uh, I think Tommy and Tim were doing triathlons a long time ago. Maybe Ken also. Um, have you done one, Carla? Well, I would drown for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. Chris, you're very, you're very smart. I to was not getting even to you. To ask I was getting to you. Um, now, when we're walking along the lake, Jess. Um, no, um, I know Paul did. Um, does Ian uh, like to to run? He's run a marathon, but oh, um, I can and use he was a collegiate coach. swimmer. But um, he did do triathlons at some point. Okay. But well, yeah. So I did a bunch of marathons. Um, those were super fulfilling. You know, the community, the people, the training. I would hate to. I'm not. I don't have some exclusive um, monopoly on the happiness from a marathon. But I did enjoy the long runs when I would travel especially like getting to Southern Chile and wanting to explore the islands of Chiloé and the coast. And I was writing about indigenous communities. And so I'll just go for like a 17 mile run and explore the whole area and come back. Or if I was traveling with a group of students to Chile or Spain, um, go out for a 15 mile run and scout out all the spots and make sure they're open and they're still operational and then go to this neighborhood and that neighborhood. So that when I could meet with the students the next day, I was suddenly this expert in, you know, all the different neighborhoods in Madrid or whatever. So that was always really fulfilling, just being able to keep going and keep going, even if it's a three hour jog. Um, And yeah, I had some competitiveness here in Chicago where we would keep points and compete against other clubs, or we would go to the national age group, uh, you know, championships for cross country and everything. But like I said, never in the top 2,500 of the country. Um, and then Boston Marathon was fun, but hilly. Um, and I got into mountain biking, love mountain biking, even though here in Chicago, we only have like three places we can go. But no, the, the Ironman thing, the jury's still out. We'll have to see what happens. It's September 10th. I'm going to give it a shot. I did a half in June and narrowly survived. The run was supposed to be my strength, but I didn't have any energy left. Um, but the one in September is crazy because it's it's insane amount of training. People say it ruins marriages um, because it really, the guy or the woman disappears for seven hours on a Saturday. Like, okay, the rest of us were... So it had to be the right moment in life where I had run some ultra... Oh, this was cool. I did an ultra marathon up in Marquette. That was really fun up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And that inspired me to run across the Grand Canyon. So I think that was my favorite accomplishment. Um, Some friends and I did the rim to rim to rim where we started in the south, crossed to the north, and then came back to the Mm -hmm. south all in one day. Um, And it was so beautiful. And you just keep moving after 13 or 14 hours, you know, you look back and and you've accomplished it. Um, So that was so cool because you don't care about your time and you're just with your friends and I think that was what inspired me to try the Ironman, because if I can move and just kind of keep moving for 12 hours, then I should be able to get this thing done. Um, How do you move from, I mean, look, I've done a lot of different, I run a lot. I've done a number of marathons. I've done some really fun relays, you know, those distance relays, those are really fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, but now that we're getting into our fifties, how are you keeping yourself um, from getting injured and from the aches and pains? Do you have them? Do you think that you're sort of naturally suited for this kind of thing or are you doing something specific? I'm really curious because I'm starting to notice myself slowing down, definitely finding, you know, more aches in the knees, not, not serious pain, but you know, achies. And I'm wondering how you're sort of combating some of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have some like secret a mantra or, you know, solution. I think everybody thinks they're the expert until they're laid up with plantar fasciitis or, you know, yeah. they need a hip replacement yeah. and suddenly they're not so smart about these things. And they love to give advice too, like, well, you gotta shorten your stride or, you know, whatever. Um, let me analyze your, you know, your foot planting, but then next thing you know, they can't run. So I just, I'm so grateful every day that I can. Um, I'd see plenty of people my age and younger who suddenly can't because of a particular knee or hip or whatever. Um, but I, 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 the one thing that does strike me is that you got to keep moving. And so whatever each day brings, if you're interested in that, if you're interested in athleticism and you want to, you know, you like those things, um, you can always find some way to move your body. Um, so if you suddenly can't run because of your feet, then you can run in the pool, which is super boring, yeah. or you can swim or you can start to bike. Or if you can't, you know, do this kind of biking, try that kind. And if you literally, if you can't move, I know, I know people that have the weirdest stride because they've completely figured out a way to pick up their hip and swing their foot around, you know? And so they still do these 10 mile runs at age 75 and everybody says, oh, they look so unhealthy, but they're doing these 10 mile runs at age 75, age 80. Um, our coach at Evanston Running Club is the world record holder for her age group that, uh, in the marathon. Uh, and that goes for 60 to 65, 65 to 70. I think now she's 77 years old and still running marathons. Um, so you need to keep wow. moving within the parameters of what you're able to do. And if, you know, you're supposed to swim that day, but your shoulder's hurting you. Maybe you can do some sort of weird skip jog thing that protects your shoulder. Um, and you'll, your body will adapt. Your body will figure out, oh, this is how we're running now. Okay. <clears throat> so I don't plan to, to keep to stop <laughs> moving, but I had issues with my back. I've had issues. I mean, I, my physical therapist, you walk into that office and there's like seven different people who have worked with me and Hey, Chris, how are you? <laughs> so. <laughs> so is your life now at all what you thought it would be when you were Oof, graduating no from way. high school? I, I, who, who can say that? I mean, probably <laughs> I more than anyone, because I, thought I wanted to be a Spanish teacher. I went after it. I became a Spanish, Spanish teacher and that's all I've done for 23 years. So I'm probably the most boring in our class. But most 50 year olds. <laughs> can, can, let's, let's stop stop for a sec because so far in the 20 minutes or so we've been talking to you, Amazing. we've heard about like five Sub different uh, time intensive things that take mm -hmm both expertise and passion. So 
Okay, go ahead. Entonces, lo que teacher. tenemos Continue. que decir es que In mi oh. vida es bien aburrida. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I am the guy who has been doing the same thing for 20 years. I think so many people, you know, um, they look back on their life and like, wait, I am the vice president of the regional distribution for shower curtains. <laughs> you know, based in the state of Texas because of my marketing expertise. Um, and they make like five times what I make. Uh, but, or whatever, they ended up writing a book about this or living in Africa. Or, uh, I don't know. Um, so surprises. Yeah, but so I, so I don't think anybody had any idea where they were going to end up. And we try to explain that to our kids, right? As they like, you know, try to make these plans about how everything's going to fall into place and they'll study this and earn that and live here and marry this person <clears throat> it doesn't really work that way but um mm -hmm. i mean i'm pleasantly yeah. surprised uh like i said i kind of I, i i hope it's fair to enjoy so much happiness um and and look at these amazing kids and this wonderful wife and a job that i love and feel like I have balance in my life and good friends and that that's not bad karma or I'm not jinxing myself or it's about to be ripped away, but it's okay to, to enjoy that. Um, while also maybe having, well, just also said, appreciating, just making sure you, you take the time to appreciate it and knowing that you know, other people might be struggling through things. And, um, but I guess I'm surprised that that has happened, that I can sit out on my porch you know, with somebody I care about and just kind of be is a pretty lucky thing. Well, and I think earlier you said that one of the things you learned from your mom is that if you hold space for, for joy and for happiness, um, you'll, you'll find ways to bring it into your life. And I'm sure there are plenty of folks with on paper could have similar assets or experiences and but they're they're not holding that space yeah so they're not even noticing yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty cool are you and tavia pretty aligned in your um kind of pace enjoyment of the same thing no your life sounds so <laughs> busy <are> total opposites <laughs> as you know uh that was a setup question Uh, Jessica knows Tavia. <laughs> she knows that she is wise and measured and calm and much more intelligent than I am and steady and someone of profound intuition. And I'm all over the place. So she doesn't want to run marathons. She doesn't want four different jobs. Um, she doesn't accomplish nearly as much on paper per day as I do. But, you know, I'm the person who missed the exit. Uh, so it's going to take me a little bit longer to get there um, than somebody who may have planned correctly and listened to Google Maps. Um, so she's got a much better map uh, of what's going on. She's much more, uh, I don't know, But we really do. So if this isn't too personal, how do you two manage that? 
she could get frustrated with you. You could get frustrated with her. How well, it is personal, but that who are difference these people listening the to this? Like you. Matt and Peter and Daniel. I'm pretty sure they know all this. And Tommy Schmidt. Tommy <laughs> yeah, but there'll be there. like 12 people. Listen. So He's recovering from a hip replacement. <laughs> well, that's because he did so many damn triathlons. <laughs> Everybody... My going quickly back to that, everybody has advice for me that I'm doing too much and I'm going to regret it, um, including Tavia's mother, who was a world-class triathlete and qualified for the Ironman Kona Championships in Hawaii. But she then went through a Holy tremendous cow. amount of physical discomfort. And she says, eh, you're going to be just like me. Um, actually, I think she says, you're going to be just like Tommy. But um, no, <laughs> All the best to you, Tommy. You got this. Um, but then that 85, 80, you know, 78-year-old coach of mine used to race against Tav's, Tavia's mom. And uh, and she's gone in a different direction. She's taken great care of herself. So. Um, Tavia looks at things a little differently. Um, so what were we talking about? Um, personally. Reconcile all of your different. Yeah, I mean, she's how absolutely you, amazing because she lets me be me. And she... Um, I think she does appreciate, you know, me and we're in love and all that. But she, as far as the, the running around and having a bunch of different things going on at the same time, um, she, she lets that happen as long as the most important things are sacred and, and, and in place safety and the boys and togetherness. And, and then I also, um, truly value her her way of moving through the world. Um, I will say the, the, the personal thing about this, this is probably getting really personal, but they do, if you read the books about ADHD, like the negatives are, you know, professional instability and, um, and um, whatchamacallit, infidelity. Um, the idea that someone would just get bored of their job and move on, or they just get bored of their relationship and move on. And those are luckily the two, maybe the only two, um, <laughs> you know, items that describe people with ADHD that I have not experienced. And I don't see myself experiencing, you know, anytime soon. Um, but you really have to understand that it's not going to do you a lot of good to chase after something different just because you had some fleeting thought <clears throat> um, about why your relationship was difficult that week. So... Yeah, I mean, knock on wood. We knock on wood a lot around this house. It's kind of a superstition. Toca madera. Um, so we, you know, hopefully things will continue uh, to go well. But what do you what do you think is next for you? What what do you want to learn more about, or sort of what are some of the things that are coming to you in your future that you're excited about? I'm just gonna stockpile like a lot of weapons and just kind of find a bunker to hang out in. Um, <laughs> no, that's, yeah, Don't survivalist, um, just turn my back on society and, and the world. Um, yeah. Really? I don't even know why I think that's funny. I, I, um, I shouldn't have said that. Said that. <laughs> I guess it is funny. We're laughing. It, this is a tough time in life, right? I, I think we should. This is a cool thing about the, uh, the podcast. I'd be interested to hear what other people have to say, because um, you think like I bet a lot of us have this idea that we're 
pretty sure where we are at age 50, um, whether we are in our first marriage or our second, whether this or that. Um, but, you know, looking at the empty nest, looking at retirement, looking at the next 30 years, wanting it to be fulfilling, it could be filled with, you know, frustration or disappointment. I guess some people are going to want to be grandparents and all that. So it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, even professionally, am I, I'm not ready to retire. I have 15 years to go. So I can't just cruise. I can't just, you know, hit cruise control and never publish anything and never teach any interesting classes. Um, I can't just go through the motions, or at least I don't think I want to. Um, but, you know, what if I do run into injuries and I start to get frustrated that that adrenaline, those endorphins aren't coming the way they usually do? Um, and what are Tavia and I going to do when the boys are um, out of the nest? So uh, this is where I am kind of jealous of people who have done these big, cool things, you know, um, like, you know, you could you've already started four companies start a fifth one that's completely uh that's completely philanthropic uh or you know you've already become a famous musician now you want to publish that fifth album that blah 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 so i don't know i'll probably just keep being myself uh finding cool things to do traveling um cool people to connect with keep the rental properties going. Um, I'll maybe do something a little bit more ambitious with, with real estate. Um, but not, I don't know. How about you guys? What are you going to be doing eight years from now? <clears throat> Interviewing our classmates probably at the rate we're going. <laughs> I only have a 96 more to go. Um, this like is, that. We're coming up in 15 minutes here, I think, by the way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a tough question. <laughs> what kind of answers are you getting? I guess I'm going to have to wait and find out. You're going to have to listen to the yeah. podcast to find out. But what you're saying is very, um, I think you'll find other folks thinking about the same questions. Some of them have different answers, but where do I want to be? Who do I want to be spending time with? What's going to provide mm-hmm. yeah. meaning for me? You know, whether they have been, you know, founding four companies or whether they've been working unpaid in the home, raising kids. Yeah, definitely. There's a big shift happening. And and I think a lot of us realize that continuing to do more of what we've been doing um, isn't probably the most fruitful way yeah. to spend the Yeah, yeah. we're wanting, <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> David Eagleman probably tell us that um, we need to seek novel novelty at some level to keep our brains working well, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and we haven't even touched on the imminent apocalypse, right? Um, which is actually an interesting thing. I mean, I think that we prefer to most of us think positively, either because it's worked for us to this point or because the alternative is just kind of unthinkable. I mean, let's not talk about rising uh, ocean temperatures and let's not talk about, you know, nuclear Holocaust. Um, But obviously at the same time, we can't just turn our backs on, on these issues. We can't just say that our kids are going to work it out. 
and figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I would hope that a lot of us from this class are part of the solution. Um, I guess I would like to be part of the solution, but I am curious about how that would, what form that would take. I might need some guidance in, in that and how to stay positive, but also, you know, I, I thought for the longest time that I was fighting climate change by having a strong environmental ethic to my literary criticism um, that, you know, environmental humanities does raise an awareness um, of these issues that trickles throughout society in, in different ways, um, whether it's translating indigenous poets who have a strong ecological message, or it is just pointing out, you know, the importance of the river in a particular novel. Um, I thought I was kind of raising a consciousness, but I also felt at times disappointed mm -hmm. that that wasn't concrete, measurable change. Um, so obviously we also have a very, some very, very serious issues to confront. And I would think that we would be some of the people who would lead in that area. We're in our 50s. We still have 40 years left to do something. Most of us have a position of voice or power or money. Um, and it's now or never for some of this stuff. So I don't really like the idea of passing it on to our kids to deal with. Um, but I don't have the answers. So there's a little bummer, a little downer for for you from Raviox. I think a, a downer would be as if you said, but I'm just going to lie down and give up. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think the optimism that you shared earlier about sort of other aspects of your life is still coming through in this idea that we do have some agency. We are not. We're not done. We're not done. We're not done yet. Right. And I, and, and, you know, working in, in philanthropy where it's hard to measure change at a community level, at a regional level, I wouldn't minimize the effect of bringing your values into whatever work you're doing. And I am sure that there is some change that's happening through the way that you're presenting material through the choices you're making about who to translate and who to reference. So we all have to do, I mean, you're, you're living into those values with the, uh, with the renovation projects and I yeah, think it's really cool. Thanks. <laughs> you guys are very affirming. So let's, so we're going to go back in, future, in time now, now right? Back, Carla? Time travel. We're in the DeLorean. All right. This. <laughs> So when you think about yourself in high school, what do you remember about yourself? How would you describe yourself? Dude, back everybody then? knows I was a geek. I was a band geek, a sports <laughs> geek, a math geek. Um, and I was a little younger than the rest of you because I, I skipped second grade. I don't know if you knew that, but yeah, I had no no need for second grade. But the second grade teacher, I think she just gave you that year. I think so. <laughs> Carla nails it. Uh, yeah, my mom was a second grade teacher. I was born with second grade curriculum. <clears throat> so 
I think um, I was, yeah, I was like little Chris Travis. who was like a little smaller, a little less mature, a little less ready to date, a little less ready to drink, all that good stuff. Until senior year, where I just realized that it's now or never. And everybody is really cool. And uh, I actually like all these people. And why not go to the party? Um, so... That was kind of fun. I wish it had started a little earlier. Um, finally starting to develop a little bit of self-confidence or a sense of humor about oneself, you know, which other people seem to appreciate and care about, you know. So, okay, so what was I like in high school? Was that the question? Yeah. I mean, I was a corraleño. Uh, I was a yeah. swimmer. I was a diver. I, I loved all my female friends, but I just didn't have the courage to suggest that we be together without a million other people around. <laughs> well, we're going to do a very quick yeah. flash round of 10 questions about high school. Once again, you can pass if you want, you can expand if you want, you can, uh, you know, answer truthfully, or you can lie. Right. <laughs> There are a number of options. I like all those options. All right. So first question right. actually is tied to what your last answer was, which is who was your who was your high school crush? Dude, that, first of all, oh, my word. Oh, my word. Um, I think I might pass. And here's why. Because this was like the predominant theme of our first three reunions. <laughs> Tavia even went to her 35th high school reunion the other day and people were dumping, or hitting her with that same thing. I used to have the biggest crush on you. It's like, dude. Um, but yeah, I remember the first few reunions were fun because people would <laughs> confess to their crushes as though it was some sort of like safe place. You know, oh, five years have passed. <laughs> <laughs> now I can tell you how I. Now I can I mean, tell I you. Know what personally, but I hate rumors. No, no one came up to me to say you're my. <laughs> I, I heard stories. I'm pretty sure it happened. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, because it one. wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had a few people that I would have liked okay. to date. Um, they don't need to ever know about it. It's okay. <laughs> All right, next. Munch pudding or veal Oh, burgers? let's go with munch pudding. Disgust. Especially now that we pass it through the, the filter of, of now. I mean, I would eat munch pudding right now. Um, <laughs> I'd, I would not eat veal birds right now, but I can taste them on the tip of my tongue um, as we speak, which is crazy. Okay, this is a strange question, I think, but what clothing brand or other style did you rep in high school? Dang. Uh, <laughs> see, this is, it's all tied together. It's all tied together. It's the first answer about what I was like in high school and, and why <laughs> I wasn't too successful in the dating world. My first three years in high school is completely connected to the crush question, which is connected to the, the style question because I was stuck the ADHD is also in there between the jock 
like, I think I'll wear the sweatshirt and the shorts and the cool soccer stuff. And then my best, one of my best friends, Matt Greenberg, who had it all going on with the goth and the cool yeah. music scene and the dark clothes. So sometimes I would just suddenly like go all black <laughs> and go with him to a concert, but I didn't have any shoes to wear. So I'd wear the soccer cleats. Yeah. It just it never worked. Eclectic, <laughs> esoteric, short fallings is what it was. Um, all right. Next up, what car did you drive in high school and how did it meet its demise? Um, so I had two. Um, I drove a Datsun 610 station wagon, uh, 1978 that most people didn't see. They, um, but that was my first car and uh, it died um, doing apartment maintenance and rehab as a foreshadowing of my 50 year old life but the main car I drove was a volvo station wagon uh, volvo sedan just like everybody else um their parents put them in a volvo because it was safe um and i drove it until it hit something i can't remember what and um those things were designed to crumple to protect you so that was the end of that um yeah but I, I don't have a lot of stories about how it met his de demise, but I do remember when Bruce Montgomery and I would drive to early morning diving workouts and uh, we'd pick up uh, Papa Leo, the kid, the, the, the junior, and the, Chris Papa Leo, uh, also a diver. And none of us were very good. No offense to Bruce and Chris, but um, we would go in there at 5.30 in the morning every morning and Bruce and I w would... Um, if we so we wouldn't run out of gas if we only had like 75 cents to our name we'd put in the 75 cents of gas but then we would hold open hold up the tube and make sure we got every last tablespoon of gas out of the gas hose um to fill up that volvo so um yeah those were the days a lot of volvo, a lot of volvo days. stories in our in our class i believe class. jessica drove one as well yeah. Very safe car. Very safe I car. I did. For yuppies in Albuquerque. Yeah. What was your high school song or band? Well, it was um, Ken Adkins' <laughs> uh, concert band and pep band as featured at the Charger football games. <clears throat> and I would challenge any of my classmates to come up with the fight song and sing it on one of these podcasts, but it goes something like this. So Ken, Whoa. I'm not sure that's what Carla meant by my song, but um my school exactly is exactly the roof. i love um, it yeah chris cushman and i were band geeks i don't know if you knew chris cushman was a geek a lot of people <laughs> thought of him as a geek but he and i were he, he and i were exactly alike both of us were like <laughs> band geeks <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, people got you confused all the time because you're both right. like Chris. Exactly. Yeah. And you're so similar. Um, okay, what high school teacher had the greatest impact on you? Uh, That's harsh. Because there's so many good ones. You got your Nancy Spencer, you got your Hugh Rayburn, you got your Bob Clotworthy, you got your good old Elatigo, Elatigo, uh, Mr. Seymour. He was a professional softball pitcher in Nicaragua. I don't know if you guys knew that, but that's why they referred to him as Elatigo. No way. So he was, he was pretty impactful. Um, Coach okay. Brown. But I'm going to go ahead and pick... Mr. Clotworthy, who passed away uh, a few years back, good old Bob, because he was out of the classroom and we were in the diving tank and he would drive me to diving meets in his little VW bug and tell me that I could do it. And then I did, he, he kind of looked at me one year and he said, you know, you got sixth in state your junior year. If you would just step it up a little bit, Mr. Jack of all trades, I think you could win state. And I didn't really think, nobody had really kind of told me that. Um, that that was within reach for me, that it would require some hard work and some early morning workouts, but that I could maybe win state. And sure enough, it happened. Um, and I remember celebrating with him after. Um, so yeah, he was more than just a PE coach. Yeah. Well, he was an Olympic gold medalist himself. Well, yeah, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So awesome. He might know something about winning. What was your favorite hangout spot? either on campus or off? Uh, well, off campus, it was fun to see a lot of people at Dion's or, you know, at, uh, but there were two that come to mind. One, and I, I hope this comes up in other podcasts, but um, Aaron Broomer and I used to sneak away across uh, to the grocery store across the street and play um, video games uh, for way too much time our senior year when we were supposed to be on campus. We'd skip classes. We'd skip uh, just to just keep putting quarters in the, the little video game. I think, uh, I don't even remember. I think it was Spy Hunter and then one other. So that you have to count that as a hangout because we spent so much time there. Um, and then Matt and I, uh, would have our late night powwows at um, Dunkin' Donuts. So we'd be driving back from some event at 2.30 in the morning and we'd just sit outside the Dunkin' Donuts and talk until four. And, you know, the time would fly by. We wouldn't even realize that we'd been talking for two hours. Amazing. So, yeah. That is cool. Do you have any regret from high school? Now, I, here's where I can talk a little bit and about the so crushes. <laughs> I mean, come on. What <laughs> advice should I be giving my three boys? They have no interest in it. I've given it to them a million times. They don't get it. Have some confidence. So, so what's funny, Chris, is that the next question is exactly this question that you're about that you're about to answer in relation to the last question. Right. Which is it's what so would it's you so give superficial. It's so um, unworthy of all these other like profound questions we've been addressing. But I I really think 
if I could, and I, I know so many people say this, like if you could have just given yourself some confidence, like people do want to talk to you. They do want to hang out with you. They probably would want to go on a date with you. Like there's nothing to lose by trying just, you know, in fact, I think what, you know, and they're just as insecure as you and they're just as nervous as you and they're wondering if anyone will ever take an interest in them and if you could just get over all that and have some confidence, you know, you could have a lot of fun and not just physically like dating and hooking up with people, but just, you know, having those opportunities, you know, to experience things. So I spent a lot of time thinking that no one would ever, you know, be interested in me. And I think a lot of people at that age do go through that. So, um, you know, and if you're, whatever, so anyway, you get the point. I would try to encourage that kid to just not worry about that and, you know, go ahead and try going to that party or go ahead and try, you know, seeing if that person wants to go on a date or, you know, whatever, because you got nothing to lose. But boy, we're so tied up in our anxiety and fears and, my 16 year old is too, you know, um, don't tell him, don't tell anybody. Um, but yeah. <laughs> we'll right, let it last. Yeah. Don't worry. Last question. last question. All right. We have one last more question. question for you. What would be the title of your high school memoir? I mean, you just just call it Traviox. <laughs> like Lincoln. One word. That's Traviox. for Jessica. Slightly, slightly for Jess. That was slight, uh, slightly for Jessica's appreciation. But I love that. I think the subtitle should have a. It should be a phrase that right. has the initial right. CCCP. <laughs> Um, CCCP, something about the Corralinos, you know. Um, yep. The courage of Chris. Well, CCCP actually did that, stand for the Corralino we'll Corndog Carpool. We'll um, so it could just be Traviox and the Corralino Corndog Carpool. <laughs> but see, that was another problem. We were so isolated as Corralinos to do, to hang out with each other and not necessarily mix enough with the rest of you that I think we really missed out on some, some cool opportunities. Um, but that's a whole separate topic. Um, oh, I, I felt like you, that you and the Corraleños contributed so much to the just sense of silliness and yeah. fun. Adventure. Yeah. And everyone was more than welcome to be an honorary Corraleño. Really um, you guys were right up there. Um, and it did seem like everybody kind of had fun playing around with it a little bit. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Really fun. Chris, it's been so great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for making time and please give Tavia a big hug and a hello. And I hope yeah, she'll join yeah. you at I, the reunion. I wasn't even, I was officially uninvited to her high school reunion. I just want to say that for the record. She was like, ah, 
I don't really think uh, people's significant others are, but she just wanted to hang out with her friends and reminisce about old times. And so I got it. I got it. <laughs> but yeah, she's, our class is very welcoming to significant others. And she always is, you know, loves seeing you guys and loves seeing everybody. So that would be fun. I'm going to be there. I promise. Uh, the 30th. Good. Drag, drag have low Coralino representation. Last time was a real bummer, but this if time. Ever there was. Um, but, um, and I'm looking forward to these podcasts and hearing some real um, luminaries yeah. uh, and what they have to, to teach us yeah. as opposed yeah. to these corn dogs that just spout <laughs> random yeah. bits of philosophy. This was really great. I learned so much about you and um, really was inspired. So thank you so much. Thanks to both of you guys. I look forward to seeing you again soon. And, you know, please come to Chicago. I know you've probably been a couple times surreptitiously. Um, but next time you come. I don't know why I don't get yeah, there very much. Yeah. But maybe I'll um, make it a point. If you need me to, to lend you 280 bucks uh, for the airfare or whatever. But just <laughs> get here and we'll hang out. It'll be fun. We got Amy. We got Laura. We often have Ken. Right. We got Dinah. We got all the cool Chicagoans. This is true. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, swing on by anytime. Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion is written, directed, and edited by Carla Silver and Jessica Slade. Our theme music, True Sight, is by Jared Matt Greenberg. Please subscribe and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.